0: Don't know the answer?
1: Ask the Naked Scientists.
0: Hello and welcome to this week's Ask the Naked Scientists with me, Sue Marchant, and Dave Ansel.
1: What's new in the world of science for you, Dave? Well, an interesting story, which I, I think is um, fascinating and hopefully shows big things in the future, uh, partly because I'm a space geek, space geek is that Elon Musk um, and his company SpaceX have managed to launch uh, his bigger space rocket, the Falcon 9, and actually get it into orbit. Um, that doesn't sound very impressive. People have been doing this for ages. But this is essentially his own project. He decided a few years ago that getting into space was too expensive, so he made a load of money by selling PayPal. Uh, about 10 years ago, and he thought, what can we do with all this money? Let's build a space program. So he's (laughs) basically built his own space program, and he's built a space rocket which is capable of launching um, about 10 tons up into low Earth orbit. Wow. Which, um, mostly, I'm just really, really impressed. that, That Essentially, you can just think, let's build a space rocket. (laughs) <laughs> uh, and yeah, he launched it last Friday um, it's, a very, it's actually quite unusual for space rockets to work the first time Ooh. He's got a smaller one called Falcon 1 which it worked on his fourth try um, But this bigger one he's managed to get to work fine um, apparently people in Australia thought it was a UFO. Oh, wow. Because the, you know, the big sort of plume of the rocket as it flew up over, he launched it in Florida, but it was over Australia. And there's this big glowing thing in the sky, and various people um, reported UFO in the sky. Amazing. Uh, when it was over the top. And uh, hopefully in, the idea is that he's going to kind of cut the price of launching into space by a factor of three or four. And hopefully that will lead to all sorts of interesting things. Because 19- think it's cheaper to do, people do more interesting things with it. Let's go to our first science questions
0: for this evening. Um, how does anti-dandruff shampoo get rid of dandruff and what does it contain to do this? Dave?
1: Not quite my expertise, but I think one of the things which can cause dandruff is if you get fungi um, in, amongst your, uh, in, in your scalp. And, that, and the, one of your reactions to your scalp has to try and get rid of this fungus is grow lots of skin and then lose it quickly. Um, And so if you can kill that fungi, it can reduce the dandruff. And I think just physically getting rid of the dandruff while you're washing your hair so it falls out in the water rather than on everyone else or on your (laughs) clothes. That's right. (laughs) So, yeah, I think basically killing off some of the things which are producing it and getting rid of it itself.
0: Excellent. Let's go to our next question, which is coming by email uh, from William McCartney. What a great name. Um, And he just simply asks, because he's from Auckland, New Zealand, why do ships stay upright?
1: Yeah, particularly modern ships. They look um, like they're huge, great high things. Actually, they don't. They don't go down as deep as you'd expect them to be stable. Um, there's a couple of things which are going on. Um, one of them is that, especially mono single hull ships, we've um, got lots and lots of ballast low down in the ship. So the centre of gravity, for a start, is much lower than it looks like it is, so it's naturally much more stable. Although the centre of gravity is still above the centre of buoyancy, so it can actually still tip over and capsize, ships capsize. Um, But what happens is that as it capsizes, so if you imagine a ship and it rolls slightly to the right, um, if the sides are vertical, um, then that puts lots of extra ship underwater underwater. Uh, on the right-hand side of the ship, so that mm. produces lots more extra buoyancy on the right-hand side of the ship, uh, and so that tends to tip it upright again. The extreme case: so this is a catamaran, so you've got two hulls, a long, long way apart. Mm. If you put extra weight on the right-hand side, on the right-hand side, then that just drops the right-hand hull a bit, and that gives you lots of extra buoyancy on the right-hand side, which tends to tip you up the right way up and so for most ships um you got they've got to tip them over a v- really really long way sort of beyond 90 degrees or back 90 degrees before they'll stop getting extra um buoyancy um on the side you're tipping them to and they'll actually capsize all the way over um some ships are less good at that than others especially the old some of the old naval ships with lots of tumble home if you look at HMS victory the sides gets it gets narrower as you go up and the Mary Rose had a big problem with this Mm. and they had too much weight, too high up so once it tipped beyond a certain point which wasn't very far over the amount of uprighting force uh, the writing force stopped increasing at which point it carries on tipping and falls over
0: Mm. All right, Leanne in Gillingham says I had two balloons that I blew up and tied a knot one went down and the other one didn't so where does all the air go then Dave?
1: Where does the air go mm. from the balloon? Um, the balloon, you know, the rubber's squashing it, putting it under pressure. Um, and actually, there's tiny, tiny holes in the rubber film around the outside. And that the air can just escape through those holes out into the atmosphere. So the air just escapes the atmosphere and the balloon goes down. Sometimes, particularly if it's quite cold, um, the balloons can actually, the rubber can almost crystallise. And the balloon will stay up. Almost inflated, it's not like hard inflated, but it's sort of been roughly inflated for months and months and months. Um, and uh, which it stays that way until you touch it, at which point you heat up the rubber. You kind of, you're sort of on some set in some sense, you sort of melt the um, the molecules a bit, they can move apart and it shrinks down. Um, but I think basically the air sort of diffused out through the holes in the balloon. Mm.
0: Now, Susie has sent me in quite a long question, Dave, actually. And it's a, a bit of an article about um, using microwave water and purified water. And in two instances, um, a plant, and I'll show you all of this So if you come over here, which I know is quite bizarre, but uh, there they are. You see, one's microwave water and the one is purified water. Um, and there's uh, some bits and pieces here. This is all to do with plants and how they are fed with this. And then um, she goes on to say about baby is milk being uh, warmed up in a microwave. Is microwave water safe? That's what (laughs) she's actually saying (laughs) in one thing or another. What is your take on that?
1: Dave? Um, I just said doing any experiments involving biology i think what she's been trying to do is yeah. um compare how water which has been boiled in a microwave to water which is boiled in a kettle yeah. and try watering plants with them and see if there's any difference yeah looking very quickly i've only had a few seconds to have a look at it um she's only done this with sort of one plant in each case yeah um and the problem with biology is that this is i feel I'm very impressed by biologists in general is that in physics if you design your experiment really well in general you can it'll work and it, it'll, it'll be do what you're expecting it to if you're dealing with um, plants or mice they can just decide to do something else it's just such a complicated um, system that i mean things can keel over and die for any number of reasons um so in order to actually do that experiment properly you'd have to do Tens of plants, and also mix them up and mix them up at different times, and make sure they're all in dip. So you don't all, you don't put all of the because if you put all the microwave water um, plants nearer to the sun or further away from the sun, right, yeah, or you might overwater some or underwater others. They might be slightly different genetically. They might pick up pests different. Differently, so you've got to do lots of randomized trials. The other big trick is to make sure you don't, when you're the person who's growing the plants doesn't know what kind of water they're adding to them so you need to give them water a and water b because otherwise subconsciously if you might um, water them slightly better or differently if you're thinking that, that water a is better than that if the microwave water is better or the non-microwave water is better so i think i'd have to see an awful lot more i haven't heard any evidence that microwaves do anything bad to water um they can um overheat it and superheat it um, which is why they're like quite dangerous heating up coffee and you should be very careful about taking coffee out of... If you heat up coffee in a microwave, mm. you can actually get water above the boiling point of water and then when you take it out, it can suddenly boil in your and explode in your face. Mm. So you've got to be very careful about that. But um, once it's cooled down, I've certainly never heard of anything wrong with it and I can't see any reason why it would be
0: mm. wrong. All right, Susie, well, I hope that answers your question. Let's go to the phones now because we've got Dave in Dis who is on the line. Hello, Dave. Hi Sue. Hello, you are through to Dr. Dave. What's your question?
1: Somebody just said something about balloons and it made something click in my head. <laughs> um, weather balloons, yeah? Yeah. What are they made of? Some of them are just big rubber balloons. <laughs> and they're just like giant... I mean, when they're not blown up, they're sort of about a metre across and they'll inflate sort of ten times that size. And they, those are kind of a more old-fashioned version ones. I think the really high-altitude ones are some either polythene sheet or some kind of very thin plastic yeah. they're not stretchy so they start off am- almost empty and as the pressure drops the helium inside them expands and fills them right the way up so that's the reason why look so floppy is because they're almost empty to start with Because so you've got to have all the space for that helium to expand by a factor of 100 or so as it rises up into the upper atmosphere in the stratosphere what happens to the expensive equipment what's on them because do they track it or something and- they track them i th- it, d- it depends on if it's cheap equipment then i think possibly they just let it go but i think they put parachutes on them and quite a lot of weather blo- balloons just go up and up and up until they pop because the pressure outside drops enough that it can't hold together it pops a parachute comes out and it floats down to the, to the ground and then someone in a car chases after it and hope they can find it again okay cheers thanks a lot cheers. dave thank
0: you very much right, take care bye Bye-bye. bye bye Let's go to this
1: one now. This has come from
0: uh, Dave Great Yarmouth. He says, what is the deepest distance man has travelled into the Earth's core? As I've read an unsubstantiated claims about entrances to the deep inner parts of the Earth from the North Pole region. Oh, Dave, how exciting.
1: Does, what do you reckon? Uh, um, as far as we know, the deepest a person has ever been down is down the bottom of the Tautona mine in South Africa. Which is about 3.6 kilometers down, and down there it gets really hot. It's up to sort of 55 degrees centigrade because you're starting to get close to the mantle and the hot molten rocks. Um, There's lots of radioactive decay going on in the granites around there, and it gets very hot. If the deepest anything made by man has gone down, um, the Russians have bored a borehole down to like an oil drilling type piece of equipment down about 12 and a quarter kilometers. In the 1980s, uh, just in order to look what's down there and take samples, there's stories of hollow things at the North Pole—I've certainly never heard anything about it. You could detect any large voids underground, ground, because it would there would be less gravity over them and there are lots of very, very sensitive satellites which fly around the Earth and they're sensitive enough to pick up sort of bodies of different types of rock. Mm. They can easily pick up mountains and they could certainly pick up giant caves under the North or South Pole. So I don't, I don't think there is anything down there, I'm afraid.
0: And we're going to go to the phones because we've got uh, Mark in Dunstable on the line. Hello, Mark. Hello, sir. Hello,
1: Hello, Dave.
0: There. You're through to Dr oh. Dave. What's your question?
1: I was watching a programme. I've, I've known this for some years, but the scorpions you use a uv light and they glow and um, i heard even today if you find a fossilized scorpion and uh, it still glows and i was wondering has the earth perhaps been hit by high levels of radiation right back 430 million years ago i mean the glowing is unrelated to radiation i think it's just they happen to have a molecule inside them which, when it's hit by ultraviolet light, it converts that ultraviolet light into visible light. We can see various other things have it as well. But Ban- White bananas, apparently, have a um, pigment in them which glow as well. White bananas? White bananas. Um, your teeth will glow in ultraviolet slightly yeah. as well. Um, certainly washing powders do. It's not very natural. Um, various other things do... Um, I don't think it's uh, particularly evolved for things. It's just various chemical molecules do. Quinine as well does, Mm. which is the reason if you've ever been um, in a club or something, uh, or a disco, and you've had a um, A gin and tonic... Um, the quinine, because quinine is an anti-malarial, and the, the tonic it was given to Changed people it to stop people getting malaria, and I don't think any of that is due to any kind of evolutionary thing. It's just that it happens that some organic molecules happen to glow. Partly, I guess the first bombs were somewhere pretty much in the middle of nowhere, so there wasn't a lot else other than scorpions and cockroaches mm. kicking about. Mm. I mean, it depends how close you are. I mean, in some places, like um, around Chernobyl, apparently the environment, uh, the sort of natural environment, is doing beautifully, wonderfully because mm-hmm. there's no humans there, Um we stop farming and we stop spreading pesticides all over the place. And the I mean, the creatures probably don't live quite as long, and there's more mutations. But overall, the ecosystem is doing quite well. Yeah. Hmm. So, yeah, I I don't think there's any kind of evolutionary reason why they would glow or any particular reason to have high radiation tolerance. The radiation does go up a bit, for example, because we're protected from cosmic radiation by the Earth's magnetic field. And when the um, Earth's magnetic field fl- flips, the magnetic field gets a lot weaker, and you would get more radiation then. But yeah, I don't know of any definite things recently of there being very high levels of radiation.
0: OK, Mark? Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. Bye bye. Take care. Bye bye. <laughs> Um, our next question comes again by email from uh, Ricky, and he says, "Can light be redshifted out of the
1: visible visible range?" Yeah, um, redshifting is basically it's a bit like uh, it's kind of Doppler shift it's a bit like um the the sound equivalent of it is if you've ever cycled past um someone making a noise the bleepers I'm sure I'm sure you'd never do anything like this if you've ever ever cycled past the bleepers (coughs) on a pelican crossing yeah Cycle past those um you'll notice the pitch is high when you come towards them and it suddenly drops as you go past that's because as you're moving towards the sound the pitch is increased As you're moving away the pitch is decreased um, the same thing happens with light due to a slightly similar effect, but it's not quite the same. Um, if something's moving towards you, its wavelength gets shorter and it get, the light gets bluer. If it's get moving away, the wavelength gets longer and the light gets redder. Um, and you can certainly get red shifts big enough to move things out of the visible spectrum. Mm. Um, in fact, what's called the cosmic microwave background radiation, um, which is a kind of background glow in the whole of the universe, which is far, far into the issue in the microwave, which is far beyond the red end of the visible spectrum, started off the other side of the visible spectrum, right up in the gamma rays region. And so it's been um, redshifted far, far more than across the visible spectrum. So, yes, quite easily. Although the, the, the speeds required to do that haven't been around in the universe for a while.
0: All right, let's go to our phones again. And a very good evening to Tony. Hi, Tony.
1: Good
0: evening to you. Hey, we love to hey. you, Tony. Hey, hey, what's your question?
1: Uh, desert, you get the sun on the sand and you get uh, you can't see properly, can you? Or on a road like a, a tarmac road, the sun goes on that. I just wondered what it's doing to the atmosphere to make you see, make... Uh, oh, yeah, <laughs> when you get that fuzziness, car, <laughs> don't you? Yeah. It goes sort of fuzzy, doesn't it? It's sort of yeah. shimmery. Yeah. What's going on here is the sun's beating down, heating up the ground. The ground's getting very, very hot. The air's transparent, so it doesn't absorb very much heat, so the air higher up is still quite cold. The air, so the air near the ground gets heated up by the hot ground, and hot air expands. And that means that light goes through it slightly faster. And where this hot and then this hot air rises, and where the light um, hit goes between the cold air and the hot air, it bends slightly. Uh-huh. In the same way as light, when it goes from air into glass, it bends slightly. So if you look Refraction. Refracts, that's right. So if you look through a glass, everything looks slightly distorted behind it. Indeed. So this hot air um, is refracting the air, and because the air is hot and moving and kind of looks very turbulent, it's sort of all swirly, yeah. um, the, the route at which it's being refracted changes all the time. So the, the light getting to you is coming from different places all the time, it's changing over time, and it shimmers it's also the reason why stars twinkle Ah, because if if you've got a whole atmosphere to go through, you get little um, temperature changes in the air up high Mm -hmm. and the light um, can either get sort of um, focused down onto your eye um, concentrated into your eye in which case the star gets a bit um, brighter or it gets um, defocused from your eye in which case it gets a bit dimmer and it can move a little bit and so it's the same effect for stars twinkling
0: Very interesting.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Tony.
0: Lovely to hear from you as well. And you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Um, One quick one here from Keith in Peterborough. Dave, he asks, um, why do helicopter rotors or aeroplane propellers seem to be stationary or even going in reverse when they're going at full speed?
1: I think this is related to when you've got a wheel same thing wheels look going the wrong direction um, the biggest place you see it is on film or on TV mm. and film or TV are taking a picture um, every with film it's 25 a second with TV in this country it's 50 a second so you're taking lots of pictures and so if you're looking at something if you're doing the same thing again and again and mm. again so if you imagine a propeller going round if, if the propeller does a, exactly one turn every time you take a, take a picture and every picture, you'll see the propeller in the same place. It will look completely stationary. If the propeller does slightly less than a whole turn um, every time the camera takes a picture, each time you take it, the propeller will move backwards a little bit, so it will look like it's um, rotating backwards slowly. And if it does slightly more than a full turn, then it will look like it's turning forward slightly. Um, it's a, called a stroboscopic effect, I think. Um, I don't think you get it with even lighting. You sometimes get a similar thing um, with street lights, because street lights f- flicker a little bit. But I don't think it's an effect you actually see with even lighting, um, actually, with your eyes, because your eyes don't have this kind of um, repeated um, picture taking like a video camera. <laughs>
0: Um Mike in Colchester has asked um we cry with laughter we cry in despair and we why should we cry at all
1: are we the only species that cries dave Um lots of species produce tears Yeah um but I don't think that many I it's not my Area, but I haven't heard of any others which do it kind of in its, for the social function. Mm. Um, normally, tears are there to keep your eye clean. If you get, some, if you get something nasty mm. in your eye, then you cry. Mm. Yeah, if you get um, when you're chopping onions, that kind of crying is yeah. what it's designed for to get yeah. the nasty compounds, the uh, volatile compounds you evaporate off the onion into your eye, which are quite nasty and painful. That is to wash them out of your eye, and um, also bacteria and things like that. Um, but I haven't heard of any other animals um, which use it in a social um, context to indicate that they're upset or any kind of emotion.
0: Hmm. All right, well, Pete has sent a question in. Is there any correlation between gravity, electromagnetism, and just the magnetism that you get from a normal magnet?
1: OK, electromagnetism, um, it basically if you have an electric current going through a wire for any electric current, Um, that will produce a magnetic field. Um, This is actually to do with relativity. Um, Einstein explained this about 100 years ago. Mm -hmm. In fact, it was how he worked out relativity in the first place, one of the things. Um, It's basically uh, the same way that you may have heard that things get heavier when they go near the speed of light. Mm -hmm. Um, Their charge also changes a little bit. You need this little correction to electric charge. Um, when things are moving um, because of relativity and that correction, correction we call magnetism so electricity and magnetism are very related and the magnetism which you, um, in a bar magnet is essentially due to electric currents which are permanently flowing around the atoms in around the iron atoms inside that bar magnet so it's exactly the same as an electromagnet. It's just they're it, they're continuously going. It's electrons orbiting around um, iron atom uh, iron atoms inside the magnet. Um, relationship to gravity. There are lots and lots and lots of physicists trying to come up with a theory which combines electromagnetism and gravity, and the other two big forces in the universe. Um, the strong, the two, there's two nuclear forces called the strong and weak nuclear force. Um, and there's various theories which have, can connected um, actual magnetism and the strong and weak magnetic, um, nuclear forces, but no-one's done it successfully and found evidence for it working with gravity. So it's a big question. Nobody mm-hmm. knows.
0: Uh, Jeff in Ipswich sent an email in saying, on the subject of helicopters, is it true that they are limited to a certain speed due to their aerodynamics, or is it something else? That's from Jeff in Ipswich. Thank you, Jeff.
1: Um, the big limit on the speed a helicopter can go is that the way a helicopter gets lift is you've got a rotor um, going in circles. Yep. Um, and because It's basically a wing um, which is moving in circles all the time. And for that wing to generate lift, it's got to be moving through the air. Um, now, when you start moving forwards, the half of the rotor which is moving in the same direction as the helicopter compared to the air is now getting going extra fast. And the half of the rotor which is going backwards is moving in the same direction as the air. is moving past the helicopter. So relatively, it's going slower through the air. So you get extra lift off the side which is going forwards and less lift off the side which is going backwards. And when you get to the point of the rotor going at the, the rotor going at the same speed as a helicopter's moving through the air, mm-hmm. then the side which is moving backwards isn't moving relative to the air, and it's not going to get any lift at all. So unless, so the helicopter is going to fall over sideways because it's getting lots of lift on one side and no lift on the other, and it can't stay stable. So unless you can get your lift from somewhere else there are some people who've done it by having um, wings on your helicopter mm. so you can get your lift from the wing um, the Russians did it with a helicopter where you have two um, rotor blades going in opposite directions mm. so both of the rotor blades, half of the rotor blades are producing lift um, but they're on opposite sides of the helicopter mm-hmm. so that's fine and you can continue producing lift so, I think that's a fundamental limit on speed limit on helicopters. The mm. other limit is the um, if the rotor blades start going faster than the speed of sound, that can cause problems because um, that changes the aerodynamics entirely. Wow. All
0: right, well, let's go to uh, more aerodynamics here. Um, Tony, who's uh, in um, Pennsylvania in the US. Hi, Tony, sent an email. Could a large enough fan propel a space shuttle? Um,
1: the problem with the way a fan. Works um, to move you through the air just like a helicopter, it moves through the air, deflects the air, pushes the air backwards, and you get an equal opposite force. Uh, Every action has an equal opposite reaction, as Isaac Newton worked out. So, if the fan is pushing the air backwards, then the air is pushing the fan forwards, so the fan moves through the air. Problem in space, um, even where the space shuttle is, which is quite low down you're essentially in a vacuum there's almost no air molecules up there there's only a few air molecules per cubic metre um, up at the altitudes of the space shuttle and a fan You just could, there's just not enough air to push back to be able to get any significant force if you're much higher than the space shuttle there's virtually nothing so unfortunately it wouldn't really work <laughs> Um, Why should it be possible, says says,
0: uh, Mike, um, to sharpen a cutthroat razor on a leather strap? I've
1: always wondered that. I guess it's just um, when you're sharpening something, you start off with a coarse um, stone or something, and you slowly go through finer and finer stones. So you're taking less and less off to just get a very, very final, very, very smooth, sharp edge and a leather strop is going to be slightly slightly abrasive, only very slightly, and also it will tend to bend the metal into a straight line. And so I think it's just doing the very, very last bit of sharpening. Mm.
0: Um, Does a torch light, uh, sorry, does light from a torch
1: propel the torch backwards? That's from Ben. The simple answer is yes. Um, Light, although when it's stationary it doesn't have any mass, because light has energy, it has momentum as well. Um, and therefore when you set photons away from a torch it will get pushed back very very slightly but the amount is minute in sort of far less than pk newtons tiny tiny amounts It's you couldn't measure it with um, virtually anything you might be able to measure the force from the light hitting something else but I doubt you could measure the force on the torch but yes it does produce a force hmm. all right we've got time for one or two more
0: Uh, this is from martin from sweden i'm a bit concerned about this martin Um, what would happen if i
1: put my laptop into a tub of deionized water okay um if you put your laptop in a tub of normal water Mm. the problem is that water conducts electricity it also um, encourages all sorts of um, basically lots of different metals inside your laptop um, and the water basically you've got more than one metal connected together. You have a battery, and the water completes a circuit. It forms, create, is an electrolyte, and so lots of battery circuits go on. Gets called galvanic action inside your laptop, and it corrodes all sorts of things and causes complete chaos. Deionized um, water um, doesn't conduct electricity. There's no ions in it. There's nothing dissolved in it, so it can't conduct electricity. Very, it's almost not at all. Um, and so it is actually pretty much an insulator. It, unless there's anything on your laptop which would dissolve in the deionized water, it should be fine. Now, don't quote me on that and don't try it and certainly don't sue me if it goes wrong. Um, I do know that there's a lovely story about uh, which my girlfriend's dad, who was a physicist in Oxford a while ago, um, tells of apparently they had lots of capacitors using huge voltages and the fire inspectors came round and they you were know, talking about 50,000 volts or something and, and they said, oh, it's a good thing you've got no water lying around. What they didn't tell the fire inspectors was that in between the plates the capacitors was all full of water because it was very, very pure deionized water. It didn't conduct electricity and you don't have a problem with mixing w- water and electricity. But um, if there's anything which could dissolve off your laptop, it could cause havoc. So I wouldn't try it.
0: No, please don't. Now, Kathleen um, Spalding says, why does it look like there are puddles on the road in hot weather? Very true. Good question.
1: That's a lovely question. Um, mirages is the reason. Um, very, very hot air. Um, it, as I was saying earlier, it's less dense and it's less optically dense as well, so light refracts. If you get a layer of hot air above the road... Um, then light, when it comes down from the sun, or from the, in fact normally from the blue sky, comes down, it hits this um, hotter air. It goes slightly faster, and what it does it bends upwards. And so it can bend around a corner up into your eyes. And so it looks like you can see the sky. Basically, you can see an image of the sky on, in the road. Ooh. And the only other thing which you could ever see, which where you see a picture of the sky in the road is a reflection from a puddle. So it looks like a puddle, but actually it's a mirror. Which the same thing happens in the desert. That's it for this week.